Good morning, church. As Debbie said, Jackie, he didn't make it back, I guess. He said he was going to, but he stayed an extra day. Good for him. Hope you get some extra rest. And I hear they're getting snow, though. That could be interesting on a motorcycle, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I'm here. Well, yeah, the announcement thing is interesting. Uh, Jerry, I'm going to, where's Jerry? I'm going to have you do all my announcements. You look and sound a whole lot better. There's nothing worse than seeing yourself on the screen. Is my head reflecting the light like it was on that thing? <laughs> I was going to wear a hat just to help out, but... Uh, <laughs> are we okay on the, is this thing off? Move it away, good. So last January, uh, when I covered for Jackie last time, um, I don't, don't know if you remember, it was uh, Psalm 90 I taught on, and particularly verse 12, you know, teach us to number our days aright that we might have a heart of wisdom. And I ended with a story uh, Mabel, about Mabel. Do you remember that story? Some of you do. Yes. Well, some of you don't, though. Probably quite a few of you don't. So I, I want to take the time. It's a little bit long, but I want to read it again because I want to talk more about Mabel. And uh, she has something to offer all of us. And so I want to read this story, picking up where I left off, and then we're going we're gonna to talk about something Mabel has, or had, that we, that we don't. The story goes like this. It's in, by the way, uh, a book called The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. That's where I got it from. And it says, the state-run convalescent hospital is not a pleasant place. It is large, understaffed, and overfilled with senile and helpless and lonely people who are waiting to die. On the brightest of days, it seems dark inside, and it smells of sickness and stale urine. I went there once or twice a week for four years, but I never wanted to go there, and I always left with a sense of relief. It is not the kind of place one gets used to. On this particular day, I was walking in the hallway that I had not visited before, looking in vain for a few who were alive enough to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. This hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases, strapped onto carts, or onto wheelchairs, looking completely helpless. As I neared the end of the hallway, I saw an old woman strapped up in a wheelchair. Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and white pupils of her eyes told me that she was blind. The large hearing aid over one ear told me that she was almost deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored and running sore covering part of one cheek and it had pushed her nose to one side, dropped one eye, and distorted her jaw so that what should have been the corner of her mouth was the bottom of her mouth. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. I was told later that when new nurses arrived, the supervisors would send them to feed this woman, thinking that if they could stand this sight, they could stand anything in the building. I also learned later that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been here bedridden, blind, nearly deaf, and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. 
I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than most of the people. I saw her in that hallway, but I put a flower in her hand and said, here is a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day. She held the flower up to her face and tried to smell it. And then she spoke. And much to my surprise, her words were, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, thank you. It's lovely. But can I give it to someone else? I can't see it, you know. I'm blind. I said, of course. And I pushed her in her chair back down the hallway to a place where I thought I could find some alert patients. I found one and I stopped the chair. Mabel held out the flower and said, here, this is from Jesus. That was when it began to dawn on me that this was not an ordinary human being. Later, I wheeled her back to her room and learned more about her history. She had grown up on a small farm that she managed with only her mother, and until her mother died. Then she ran the farm alone until 1950, when her blindness and sickness sent her to the convalescent hospital. For 25 years, she got weaker and sicker with constant headaches, backaches, and stomach aches, and then the cancer came too. Her three roommates were all human vegetables who seemed, who screamed occasionally but never talked. They often soiled their bedclothes, and because the hospital was understaffed, especially on Sundays when I usually visited, the stench was overpowering. Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks, and I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. Her first words to me were usually an offer of hard candy from a tissue box near her bed. Some days I would read to her from the Bible, and often I would pause. She would continue reciting the passage from memory, word for word. On other days, I would take a book of hymns and sing with her, and she would know all the words of the old songs. For Mabel, these were not merely exercises in memory. She would often stop in mid-hymn and make a brief comment about lyrics she considered particularly relevant to her own situation. I never heard her speak of loneliness or pain except in the stress she placed on certain lines in certain hymns. It was not many weeks before I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder. And I would go to her with pen and paper and write down things she would say. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in ten directions at once with all the things that I had to think about. The question occurred to me, what does Mabel think about? Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night. So I went to her and asked, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? And she said, I think about my Jesus. I sat there and I thought for a moment about the difficulty for me thinking about Jesus for even five minutes. And I asked, what do you think about Jesus? She replied slowly and deliberately as I wrote, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks wouldn't care much of what I think. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. 
This is not fiction. Incredible as it may seem, a human being really lived like this. I know, I knew her. How could she do it? Seconds ticked and minutes crawled, and so did days and weeks and months and years of pain without human company and without an explanation of why it was all happening. And she lay there and sang hymns. How could she do it? The answer, I think, is that Mabel had something that you and I don't have much of. She had power. Lying there in the bed, unable to move, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to talk to anyone, she had incredible power. Here was an ordinary human being who received supernatural power to do extraordinary things. Her entire life consisted of following Jesus as best she could in her situation. Patient endurance of suffering, solitude, prayer, meditation on scripture, worship, fellowship when it was possible, giving when she had a flower or a piece of candy to offer. Imagine being in her condition and saying, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those who kind of mostly satisfied. This is the 23rd Psalm come to life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. For anyone who really saw Mabel, who was willing to turn aside, a hospital bed became a burning bush, a place where this ordinary and pain-filled world was visited by the presence of God. When others saw the life in that hospital bed, they wanted to take off their shoes. The lid was off the terrarium. Then the turn came with a catch of the breath and a beating of the heart and tears. They were standing on holy ground. Do you believe such a life is possible for an ordinary human being? Do you believe it is possible for you? That's Mabel. And when I read that, Debbie came up to me after the, or Mark, I guess it was, came up to the service, or maybe it was a few days later, and said, uh, Debbie uh, came when I got home. Debbie had written on her whiteboard, what, Debbie? Be like Mabel. Be like Mabel. Mabel had something that we, that I surely don't have. I could not endure what she, I surely have up to this point. Uh, with the attitude that she had, she had something supernatural. Do we really believe in a supernatural God? In a God that does miracles like that? Uh, we all say yes. I mean, that's the right answer. But do we have that power? Do we have the ability to transcend pain and sickness and, and odor and all those things that she had to? Well, she, she had it. And this morning, what I would like to do is continue the story. And I want to talk about, <clears throat> first of all, my outline for today is to define what that power is. What's that power that Mabel had? And number two, where does it come from? Where does the power to be an extraordinary human being come from? And then number three, why do we need that Holy Spirit? Why the Holy Spirit in our lives? And number four, how do we get it most importantly? 
how do we access the power of the Holy Spirit that Mabel had? And I'm going to break that down into our part and his part. First of all, what's, what's power? Well, going to, to Strong's Concordance, the word power is the word dunamis. You've heard it before. It means that we get the word dynamite from that word. It's not just a mamby-pamby, easygoing, soft little word. It means powerful, dynamite. It means miraculous power. It means, and it usually implies, a miracle itself. It's not something little. It's a huge thing. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. In the Amplified it says, Moral power and excellence of soul. God wants us to have that same power operating in our life. Uh, I'm afraid, and I'll, I'll be the first to say, that power doesn't operate in my life enough. And I want more of it. And I know most of you would like to have it as well. The world is looking to us. If we don't get it, the world won't ever see it. God wants to use us to manifest that power. How much do you operate in it? How much like Mabel are you in your daily walk? When's the last time a miracle occurred or that you observed in front of you? God wants to give us his power. Where does it come from? I think we all know the answer to that. These first couple questions are, are pretty easy. Where does the power come from? Psalm 62.11 says, Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. All power belongs to God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power. He's promised that power in our lives. Second Peter 1.3 says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Power comes from God. Zechariah 4.6, we know well, we quote it, I quote it all the time, it says, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not my strength, it's not my power that gives me the ability to do those things. It's by his spirit. His spirit that dwells in us gives us the power. So what is this? Number three, what is the, the role of the Holy Spirit in our life? I, I was thinking that uh, maybe I don't look to the Holy Spirit enough as a source. I look to the Word every day and pray to fa my Father in heaven. And, and, but how much do I really call on the Holy Spirit, that third part of the Godhead? How, do I, how much and how often do I really depend on, on using what the Bible says is his job in my life? So I started looking, I came up with seven things, and it's obviously a whole lot more than seven because we're talking about God here. Uh, but I want to give us a reminder, a little refresher course of what some of the things that God uh, has given the Holy Spirit the job of to do. In, in Romans, 
7, verse 24, Romans 7, 24. It says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, when we come to him, this is Paul talking, of course, but uh, that's how we feel. We feel totally inadequate sometimes and, and helpless and hopeless because this body of flesh gets in the way all the time with making good decisions and depending on him instead of ourselves. Uh, we have to look past that wretchedness, as Paul did, and even as Jesus proclaimed, Jackie mentioned it last su Sunday in, in Psalm 22, he says in the sufferings of, of Jesus, he said, I am a worm and not a man. We're all worms and we're all wretched, but God does not want us to stay there. He, does, he wants to move us well beyond that point into what he has designed and planned for us, and that's where we're going to end up today. So what are the, the roles, some of the roles of the Holy Spirit? Well, I think one of the primary ones was, is found in Romans 9.17. Romans 9.17 says, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. I think maybe the most important thing, the reason why we were created, was so that we can proclaim his name in the earth. Westminster Catechism surely taught that years ago when it said the chief end of man was to glorify God and enjoy him forever, to glorify God. That's what our number one goal is. Another role of the Holy Spirit is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You all know the day of Pentecost. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Power came upon them. Is that power still accessible today? Or was that just then? Acts 4.31 And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit gives us boldness to, to speak, to witness for him. That's a very important role that he gives us. A third thing is he's our helper in John 14, 16. John 14, 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Or King James says comforter, or intercessor, or advocate. He's a helper. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Anybody have any weakness they need help with? For we do not know what to pray for we ought, but the Spirit himself <clears throat> intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then one of my favorite verses, Philippians 4.13, we all know this one well, but I especially like it in the Amplified. Listen to it. In the Amplified, I can do all things which he has called me to do 
through him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill his purpose. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him. And this is the part I love in the Amplified. Who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. Infuses me with inner strength. That's one of his roles. Another role is found in Romans 8.11. He gives life. It says in Romans 8.11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In the, in the uh, Amplified, that word life is, or in the King James rather, it's quicken. I like the word quicken because it, it's uh, more powerful. It really it means to vitalize, to make alive. It's not just an ordinary breath that we take every day. It's exceptional. It, it quickens our mortal bodies, as it says in the King James. It's a whole lot more than just oxygen. It's spiritual oxygen. 2 Corinthians 3.6 says, Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant? Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, this is an important verse. And I think we need to spend just a second on it because we all know the importance of reading the word. The word is, is live and active. Uh, it's uh, our physical, empirical thing that we can communicate with God with every day. But listen to what it says. It says, but the letter kills. If all we have is just a page with letters and words on it, um, that's not enough. It says the letter killeth, but the spirit gives life. It's what the, how, the way the word comes to life in us is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we're not expecting that to happen when we open it up, it'll just be like reading a science book or doing, uh, reading a novel or anything else. It has to have that quickening of the Holy Spirit to make it come alive and relevant to our life, for our situation, for our moment, whatever that is. Information does not equal transformation. Information, just having, knowing the word. Satan knows the word. We have to have more than information. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, renewing our minds as we study it. Another role of the Holy Spirit is our teacher and guide in John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's a powerful scripture. He will teach you all things through his Holy Spirit. When's the last time that you have been taught by the Holy Spirit? John 6, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. We have to depend upon him to lead and guide us through the word. One of the most powerful, the Holy Spirit has a responsibility of helping us love 
those. Anybody in your life that you're having a hard time loving? I uh, asked that question uh, yesterday at the men's breakfast, and I think every person raised their hand that they had issues uh, with relationships because of stuff that's been going on. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us love those that we don't agree with, those that we just don't like. And there's, everybody has those people. Listen to Romans 5.5. 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He helps us love. And of course we know what the fruit of the Spirit is in Galatians 5. It's love. And we know 1 Corinthians 13. What's the greatest of all these? Love. We can't, I cannot love those people in my life that I have a really difficult time with in the flesh. You know, I can try to convince and, and reason with them and, and make all the efforts to reconcile, but without the power, power of the Holy Spirit with love operating in my heart, it's not going to work. And lastly, the last role that I have uh, of the Holy Spirit is to seal us or guarantee our inheritance. And what a promise that is. Look at Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about acquiring possession of that promise. That is going to be a glorious time. And we surely should put our hope in, in having that guarantee of our salvation and eternal inheritance, seeing Jesus face to face. But in the meantime, we're not there today. We don't know when we will be. And so we have some work to do between now and then. And that's why God gave us his helper, the Holy Spirit, to make as much impact on everybody around us. I had a, somebody that uh, gave a message years and years ago, uh, and he had a quote that he said, we're surrounded by the enemy, and we surely are. Don't let one of them get away. And the way we accomplish that uh, is to turn our eyes to Jesus and look to him for the help. The Holy Spirit, as we go through all of these different things that he does, I, I can't do them. I, I can try as I might to discipline myself. And, you know, I'm like Jackie. I have a real problem with sarcasm. Any of you who know me very well, and I, I'm always getting in trouble with saying the wrong thing. Um, and I... I cannot just change it on myself. I can say I'm sorry. I've done that lots of times. But actually to transform one of my weaknesses into something that pleases him requires more than I can offer in my own self-discipline. I have to look to the Holy Spirit to make that transformation. And I know that I have the Holy Spirit in me. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.19 that... Right here, that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's in here. 
Sometimes I think he went on vacation and he left me all by myself to make a fool of myself, to put my foot in my, my mouth or to make a mess of a relationship. But he's here. That's the word. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, now we're going to turn the corner because he does not want me to stay wretched or worm. He has a better plan, and we need to emphasize and look to this plan. When we look in the mirror, he doesn't see a worm or somebody who's wretched. He sees a glorious, beautiful creation, a butterfly, if you will. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that that's accomplished. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We need to remember. And maybe even in our bathrooms, replace our picture. That Man, that, I got to get a new face or something. And when I looked on that announcement. Jerry, I got to get him to do my announcements. He has a better voice. He's a lot better looking. Uh, but that's not what Jesus sees. He sees something made in his image. Saved by the blood of his son. And we need to remember that. He is in the process of transforming us. We are a new creation. A worm becoming a beautiful butterfly. So how do we, how do we get this power that Mabel had? To do these things that we mentioned. That we, we know are all characteristics of Christ. Two things. His part and our part. His part. Uh, I saw... Oh, a couple, three months ago. I watched Robert Morris on Sunday mornings, if any of you have seen. He's from Gateway Church in Fort Worth. And I don't know if you do this, but Rich, I think Rich came from there uh, originally. He was down there ministering at one of the, one of the branches, branch churches of Gateway. And uh, he's a great teacher. And he gave a message on the three baptisms. And it's, this could be controversial, so Jackie can clean it up when he gets back I don't know if he'll be at coffee tomorrow, but if you have any issues or problems with what I'm saying, you talk to him about it. Uh, I don't get paid enough to take all the flack. So he had a sermon on the three baptisms. Uh, three baptisms. Hmm. Well, let's look at what they, and this, this is coming from Robert Morris. I'm not this smart. He says there's three. Number one, we all know the gift of salvation. Right. Salvation is the first baptism. First uh, Corinthians twelve thirteen says, "For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit." The Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. And surely you remember John three, where Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. Now, what must I do to be born again? And Jesus told him. So the first one is the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. The second one you all know of, the tub is gone here, but it's water baptism. In Matthew 28, verse 19, you know well, God, or go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The disciples in Matthew baptized with water. And now here's the controversial one, the Holy Spirit. 
Matthew 3.11 says, and this is uh, John the Baptist talking, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. There's the first two. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, dynamite, power. That's the third baptism. Now, somebody's saying, well, yeah, but Ephesians says there's only one baptism. Well, Jesus had all three. So which is right? In Acts 2.38, look at what it says. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you look at that, repent is the first, the water baptism is the second, and then the third, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus got all three. Do you think we need all three? In Matthew 3.16 is the scripture that tells us when Jesus actually got baptized in or with the Holy Spirit. It says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit at that time. I don't understand that. Don't ask me to explain that. I don't, but it's relevant to us that we get baptized with the Holy Spirit. He says it in his word. That's where the power comes from. We can, we can say the words. We can confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. We can get dunked with water, and that cleanses the outer man, but we need the power. And the power comes from the baptism in or with the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, our part. Our part is, I think, of uh, Celebrate Recovery. Uh, I'm involved uh, in jail ministry, and, and I've done Celebrate Recovery, and I like the very first step that they have in explaining how we can get access to that power. The first step is I am powerless to change myself. And some, you know, I, I used to think I could and it didn't work real well, uh, but we ultimately come to a place that we are powerless to transform ourselves into the image of Christ. It requires the Holy Spirit. Uh, Romans 7.18 verifies that. Romans 7.18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You know, Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. He wrestled with the same thing. We have to do the same. Wrestle. John 3.30, again, John the Baptist uh, tells us one of the steps, one of our responsibilities to access the power of the Holy Spirit. He must increase and I must decrease. I have to die to myself. I have to kill my pride. 
I have to pick up my cross every day and die to that flesh that wants to control everything in my life. And I can only do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. Don't we love to show our weakness? Everything inside of us goes against that. But that's the access. That's the, that's the way that we access the power. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So the, the power of Christ will rest upon me. All these, in all these cases, they were already saved and in many cases water baptized. The power came up in them, through them, by the Holy Spirit. So we surrender, you know, we know we're broken, but then we have to wrestle, just like that cocoon, that caterpillar that crawls on a branch uh, in the process of metamorphosis. That's what that word transforms means in the Greek metamorphos. So that caterpillar crawls on a branch upside down and it spins a cocoon around itself and it sits there for several days and wiggles and wrestles while all the internal organs are being liquefied. It's a miracle of science. A caterpillar in a, in a matter of days becomes a beautiful monarch butterfly. And it's no, no answer in science. We don't know how a caterpillar DNA turns into a butterfly DNA, only through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's transformation. That's how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. We just surrender, attach to the vine, and let him, through our wrestling, through our accountability with others, through prayer, meditation, making a lot of mistakes and asking forgiveness, we wrestle with it and he changes us into a new creation. A wonderful miracle. And so, go ahead and get that. That might be God. Uh, maybe he has something I forgot here tonight or this morning. So really what it comes down to, my question is, how do I, how do I access this? I, we know all the scriptures. You knew all of these. You'd heard them before. Uh, but I'm a real practical step-by-step. Give me the steps. You know, I'm a very linear kind of guy. What do I have to do? You know, and the answer is too simple for my brain to even understand. And so when I was praying about this, uh, God gave me one word. Ask. We just have to ask for it. It's available. Look at John chapter 4, or James rather, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And this is in the Living Bible. It says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it because there is a whole army of evil desires within you? Yeah, there is. You want what you don't have, so you will kill to get it. You long for what others have and can't afford it, so you start a fight to take it away from them. And yet, the reason you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. 
And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole aim is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Or you ask amiss. That's so simple, it's just not fair. All we have to do is ask. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. He's given us everything that we need to change. He has it. It's not easy because there's a lot of flesh that has to be defeated. But he asks us to just come to him. Look at what Matthew 7, 7 says in the Amplified. And this is my, my last scripture. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. So simple. Now, let me ask you. Now, let's put, let's put this whole thing now, bring it close to home. What in your life do you need changed? Now, I'm going to give you a second to think about it. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come forward or do any of that. This is between you and God. What in your life have you wrestled with that, that it's just, you're just not getting it done? I surely have things. I have the advantage. I've been working on this for two weeks, and boy, I tell you, that's, that's hard country to walk on because there are things in my life that I don't have the victory in. And love is a big one of them, judge, being judgmental. Uh, there's things, but God wants to change it. And he's given us the opportunity this morning to come to him and to ask. And so we're going to have, we're going to change the service up a little bit this morning. And we are going to have elders and deacons and any, any people that want to come and, and pray for those. If you have something that you want prayer for, specifically, we'll cover any of the needs for sure. But specifically this morning. If there's something that you have been wrestling with that you're not feeling like you're winning the battle, ask. Take a minute now and ask God to give you the Holy Spirit. I don't believe it's a one-time event where after we are saved and water baptized that we, that's it. Oh, maybe it is. I don't know. But I do know that he comes upon me or he uh, I can't even put it in words but I felt it I feel it uh, that quickening um, that revitalization in me uh, he gives me an answer he gave me one this week it's different than just status quo it's supernatural it's miraculous and he wants to give us the gift his gift of the Holy Spirit so as we take a few minutes, and I'm going to ask Joe to come up and just play quietly, uh, and I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to wait a few minutes, just give you time to do some business with God. And I, I'm telling you, he wants us to be a church that has the power. The world has seen the church without it for too long. And the way the power comes is through one person at a time. And so let's take some time. I want you to just bow your heads and, and pray and while they're...
We're going to be just uh, playing some quiet music. And then I'll end in prayer. And then after we do, I'll ask the elders and deacons to come forward. And if you would like prayer, please come. we wait on you that you would speak to our hearts as we lay our requests before you that you would send your Holy Spirit Lord, I just ask that you would empower your people to be the bold witnesses that you want us to be. Lord, I just pray for that quickening. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to wait on you until we receive the promised power. Lord, I need to have more of you teaching and guiding me. Father, as we end this service uh, more quietly today, I just pray that, uh, that you would infuse inner strength into your people. That you would help in our weaknesses. That you would touch minds and bodies and relationships and finances and marriages. Lord, we are powerless. We need you. Father, do a work in your people. Let revival start in this country right here in our hearts. I thank you for this time, Lord. I thank you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.